Welcome to Documentary Diehards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. Ren, Sam, Nick, we're back again. Two weeks in a row, we were back on the horse, guys. <laughs> good evening. Feels good to be back, boys. It's amazing. Might be a new record here, short term. <laughs> I know. Well, we even forgot in our return last week, we forgot to mention that we started volume three of the 30 for 30 catalog. That's why we took the break, right? We, we always take, well, at least the past two times, we've taken a break now after each volume. And this- You got to respect the volumes. Exactly. Exactly. It's There's meant and to not be- not burn out. Right. And so last week's was 71 overall uh, of podcasts we've done, I think. Um, and and uh, we skipped a couple because they're unavailable, but otherwise we've gone all the way through in order. Um, so today's, I'll just give the, the name of today's and then we can get into something else. But the Prince of Pennsylvania is the name of today's 30 for 30 documentary that we watched and, re- and are reviewing, uh, directed by Jesse Vile, uh, uh, premiered on ESPN on October 20th of 2015. But I want, before we get into like a summary, I wanted to ask you guys, we just got the annual um, Facebook group notification and post by our fantasy football league commissioner. I just couldn't, I was trying to look up the archives of like how it last year went and, and who won. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Yeah. I deleted yeah, my Facebook. So. And mine's broken. Okay. So I, I couldn't look it up either. So yeah, I guess it'll just remain a mystery. Yeah. For... We'll, we'll never know. I I guess like that's just kind of how things go when 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 le- legends come and go. I guess that's that's what we've learned, huh? Yeah, I I have no comment because I take last about every year. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I did want to ask what we think. I mean, I, I'm planning on telling the league that we need to draft as late as possible, and that's always preferred just because of training camp injuries and stuff. But even more so because, like, every time there's a new guy that's, like, holding out or whatever, and especially these running backs, I'm just, like, worried. We're not going to know the makeup of half these running back rooms in the in the NFL. That is a very good point. I didn't think about that. With Josh Jacobs yeah. and all this Jonathan Taylor thing is pretty crazy. The Jonathan Taylor thing is, like, the biggest one. For a while, it was going to be Saquon, and then he finally struck a deal. But that was my first worry. And then, it, then it, now it's uh, – Jonathan Taylor. So yeah, it's like, and there's other guys like Dalvin Cook will go on a team and he'll have value wherever he lands. Other guys too. Um, it's just so weird. There's always something weird. Well, like Ezekiel Elliott, he's not on a team yet, right? Yep. yep. Like, exactly. Yeah. So even those big guys, I mean. And I suppose, yeah. like in general, like the market's telling everyone running backs are less valued, and it's sort of trending down for in fantasy too, a little bit. But not, not as much as so that this doesn't affect fantasy football drafters a ton. Still, um, I don't think Jonathan Taylor was going to be number one ranked, you know, or or consensus like maybe he was last year, but he was going to be top ten, right? Totally. And now will you be able to snag him in like the third round? If is he going to hold out? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. It's very interesting with the back pain too. I was reading a little bit about that. Uh, he's like. I never said back pain. Yeah. Colts are trying to use that or debating using it to with, withhold his salary, essentially. I, I I haven't read much about that, but I did see a couple of those headlines too. Man, back yeah. pain sucks. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the Saquon deal really quick? Can someone explain it to me like I'm five? Yeah, I was hoping you would. <laughs> I haven't, I don't know much about it. Isn't it a one year? Yeah, so was one year deal. Yeah, so he gets a ten million dollar franchise tag, and he's like, not throwing a fit about it, but he's definitely like, I don't want to. I mean, kind of. He's like, I mean, no one on a franchise tag, yeah. Right, running backs aren't valued, and I want a contract and all that stuff. And he's talking about possibly sitting out for a while, and then all of a sudden it says he signs a deal, and so I was assuming like, ah, oh, you know, three years, thirty million or something. And it was like. One year, eleven million, and so it. I was like, I don't really understand because it's basically he basically only got like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in incentives, and so more than my the tag. Mind, like, what more than the tag would have been? Yeah, like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars more than the tag, but now he can get tagged next year if the Giants want to. Like he didn't in his contract get a no franchise tag. Um, yeah clause or whatever 
Huh. That's bizarre. And he, and he couldn't have been tagged if he was tagged this year. Is that correct? He could be tagged again, but the number would be like astronomical. Astronomical, like, where it wouldn't be. Okay. It probably wouldn't be worth it for them. And I don't even know what it would be. Probably north of 15 million. Uh-huh. So maybe he was thinking, you know, if I get franchised, then it's basically like a two year, $20 million deal, and that's worth it, or 21 million or whatever. But I, I was just very confused because for $750,000, now he, the Giants have more reason to like give him the football more, which is going to wear out his body more. And I don't know. It was just that's weird. Yeah, I I don't know much about it. All I read was his his quotes after he signed it was he was like literally saying he just changed his mind and he was like he was still fairly on good terms with the organization in the front office. And so he was like, yeah, I I said that thing where I was threatening to hold out, but then I just kind of had a change of heart, which I'm fine with. But I wonder if now that you mentioned that, I wonder if he felt like he backed himself into a corner sort of where all he could do was sit out or sign something. Some non-tag yeah. franchise tag. Mm. Yeah, it could be. Did he have some quotes that were like, you know, basically that's all I can do? Didn't he have some quotes that were like, I'm kind of like the teams have all the leverage. I don't have any leverage. So all I can do is just like sit out and and yeah, not do anything. Yeah, yeah, pretty much before he signed. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Weird. Yeah, it's very interesting and. I don't know. It, if anyone was going to be able to hold out and get something done, it's probably him because he's young. He's the face of the Giants, you know, and, and he's back from Yeah. And he's super crucial to what the Giants do. So oh, and yeah. one of the faces of the NFL. So it's like all of those things. He is the one who could do it. Like Jonathan Taylor, big name, but like not as big as Saquon. Yeah, and like Saquon is on a team that wants to make a deep run. Like Indy probably isn't necessarily thinking about a Super Bowl this year. Yeah, and the New York market, that's all anyone would talk about for the first six weeks of Saquon sitting out and they start two and four or something, you know? Yeah. So kind of, I mean, you can't blame the guy, but it's just, it sucks for the running backs, I guess. Saquon has had quite a wild career starting at Penn State, which brings us back to Pennsylvania, which is the subject of our documentary. I mentioned it was the Prince of Pennsylvania is the title. Um, the Basically, the summary is it, it it's about John DuPont, who ran a, um, he's, he's this like family money, like really rich guy who ran a wrestling program for the elite USA wrestlers in the 80s, uh, into the 90s. Um, and this kind of eccentric guy that had a lot of money that wanted to um, kind of uh, grow USA Wrestling, the program and and the infrastructure. And essentially, he helped fund a lot of these gold medalists and their careers and help them train without having to um, have side jobs and all that kind of thing. And uh, it, it kind of just talks about his life and uh, how that came to be. It interviews a whole bunch of wrestlers that were in his program and it ultimately ends with him uh, shooting one of his wrestlers, like one of the best wrestlers slash assistant coaches in his program after he had gone, he, John DuPont, had kind of um, gone crazy, essentially. Um, he was super paranoid, um, very mentally ill, and and uh, thought, you know, Dave Schultz, the guy he shot uh, in the early 90s, I believe, um, was some sort of threat. He was very paranoid and just kind of delusional um and that's kind of how it ends and starts it teases us with the 911 call at the very beginning and then it it ends with it goes chronologically after that and just ends with that it's about 50 some minutes 52 minutes i think um a wild one sam you're just saying before we got on it's crazy what, what was so crazy about this i mean it was a lot of stuff happened <clears throat> well i guess the crazy thing is is that i felt like i was a kid again sitting in my house with my dad watching true crime murder mysteries because that's all <laughs> my dad watched so many of those that he still does to this day they're always on tv at our house and like just the the 911 call at the beginning i'm like wow i'm not watching espn 30 for 30 i'm watching you know i don't know true crime tv or whatever yeah, it is on the history channel um, or whatever they do yeah so i mean that's the crazy part um like the story itself before the tragedy is is interesting and like it, it really takes you into a time when i mean 
Rudy and I know a lot about like the track and field during like the Steve Prefontaine area era and like the seventies and eighties, like runners couldn't support themselves. They weren't making any money and yet they were going to this international stage and they're the pride of America and everything, but they can hardly, they're on food stamps and stuff. Um, and it's the same for these wrestlers who, um, you know, they're expected to be at the top of their game and compete against the best in the world, but the best in the world don't have jobs and, you know, are just, they're professional athletes and get paid like it and have benefits and all that stuff. And these wrestlers <clears throat> were lit, not even, they'd have to have jobs and then they'd have to train at night and they don't have the best healthcare if they have healthcare at all and all that stuff. Um, and so John DuPont being willing to take these wrestlers in and like start this training camp is an awesome story in itself. And like probably not deserving of an ESPN 30 for 30 without the murder, but definitely like a, a ESPN short film or something like a 10 minute film talking about how this guy took in all of these wrestlers and turned them into sustainable Olympian Olympic champions and, and things like that. But then you throw the murder on top of it and it's like, okay, I understand why a documentary was made about this um and yeah that doesn't get into the production or anything like that but uh maybe rudy will add on what do you think rudy yeah well I, this one seemed familiar to me so the story seemed familiar i was like oh maybe i've seen this um documentary but i realized as i was um watching and then as i was uh kind of googling things as i was watching um so there's a netflix documentary um that was about this i don't know did either of you guys see this no but i thought you were gonna there was i think there was a movie with steve carell based on this i'm pretty sure it was like nominated for Ultra academy awards like five six years ago i never saw it okay that it seems vaguely familiar too yeah but anyways so um so some of the things were you know familiar to me as i went i mean what a story um and I felt like, you know, the documentary did a good job unraveling, like, you know, kind of developing the character, um, you know, of this guy who like had a bunch of money and, and now was it his family had um, uh, like the investment or like it was a bit major stakeholders in Teflon and Nylon. It was his family. It wasn't him personally. Right. Right. I think, it, I think it was his parents or maybe grandparents. Okay. And so, you know, going from that to, oh, this is this great charismatic guy and trying to help out the sport of wrestling. And then, you know, and then more character flaws, you know, came up and and I thought it did a good job. This, you know, primarily was um, focused on interviews from the wrestlers or people around the situation, um, but mostly wrestlers and and uh, kind of putting their perspective in there as far as like, yeah, we knew something was going up, but we didn't like whether it was they didn't they were selfish you could say and didn't want to give up their quality of life there or they were just so driven to being the best athletes that they could that they just felt trapped there um, or felt like he had done so much that they just had to kind of enable him whether or not they were trying to do that um, so I thought that was kind of a you know another layer that was very interesting to see throughout the whole thing um, but obviously that took a turn for the worst at the end and and uh, you know, super crazy. Um, you know, to go back to the beginning, like you said, Sam, like the bookends were you know the nine one one call, and uh, or at least at the beginning. And I mean, that catches you right away. It's like, oh man, that is like you know, true crime, Dateline, NBC, like anything like that. It's like, yep, I'm hooked. Like <laughs> that's why I always try to avoid the first five minutes of those shows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I, I agree. The I, I don't think any of us. Well, I didn't know much about it before i didn't know anything about it before watching it so that obviously kind of clued you in and it was the tease throughout it, i think the formatting was really well done not that it was like groundbreaking formatting but when it's something like this where you don't have access to i mean i, I wrote a note here that says this documentary while a great um idea and con uh concept was had two disadvantages which they had no interviews with dave schultz the guy that was killed or John DuPont, who was in jail and and died in prison. Um, and so those are the big, dis, you know, challenges for making a documentary on it. The two main characters are dead. Um, but I thought they got around it fine and they did a, a really good job of that. Um, yeah, but I didn't know anything about it. And they did. A, I thought they they succeeded in kind of laying everything out. I just looked up the Foxcatcher movie, Steve. So Steve Carell plays John DuPont. Um, 
This came out in 2014, so a long time ago. Channing Tatum plays Mark Schultz, which is like the younger brother who they interviewed in this documentary, uh, the younger brother wrestler. And Mark Ruffalo, uh, like from the Hulk and stuff, played Dave Schultz. Um, and it, uh, Steve Carell won Best Actor in a Leading Role. No, maybe nominated. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I saw that movie. You might be right, Ren, because yeah. I remember like looking at some of the pictures. I was just looking the same thing and just seeing like Steve Carell in that role. I feel like I saw that maybe. I feel like he had in all the trailers and stuff. He had like a lot of prosthetics on his face. Like he looked really different. And I, I try to see everything with Steve Carell in it. So I don't know how I didn't watch that. But um, I heard I heard he was really good in it. I bet it was longer than this documentary, though. If it was like an Oscar nominated movie. OK, so I guess the main theme, which is pretty obvious, is what you brought up, Nick, which is that they this guy went insane and he was super rich. So he kind of could. And, you know, they interviewed his lawyer, which I thought was pretty interesting throughout this documentary. They interviewed his ex-wife, who who was divorced from him long before I think he kind of started showing major crazy um, in symptoms or whatever. Um, but the main theme of this is that all these people were, I here's my take, is they were all enabling him to become this dangerous guy and ultimately had a tragic ending. They had all the signs. They saw him all the time that he was dangerous. They knew he had tons of guns and that he was paranoid and he thought he the trees were moving and there was a dangerous person and he even told one of the guys that was interviewed in here that he that dave was the dangerous person on Foxcatcher farms and he was going to do something about it and then i don't know how many days later but then he killed he pulled up to his house and shot him um so in that sense that's very literally just letting it happen but yeah they they felt like he was bankrolling their olympic you know dreams and they didn't want to go back to um fighting for their olympic dreams with less money essentially and so yeah that's my take on it it sucks but it's a really dark kind of thing that happened uh sam what do you think about about just kind of the whole enabling thing of this this sick person who's <sighs> dangerous yeah um i think that it's to a certain point it was acceptable right for them to allow it to continue to go on because he was bankrolling their dream and if they had a better chance of winning a gold medal clearly because of this guy. Like when John DuPont creates a senior wrestling tour or whatever tournaments and funds it himself just so he can wrestle. And he kind of thinks of himself as like a good wrestler and a good coach. And even though he has, they kind of laugh that off, like that stuff's fine. Right. And but once the paranoia started to set in, and, you know, he's taking videos of like walls, like 10 minute videos of the wall or, and he's like, did you see that when he's watching them? Like then something is very clearly not right with this guy. Like he's having trees removed because they're staring at him. I think one of the most telling things in the documentary was when they talked about how this awesome estate was this, it was a, a farm. And then towards the end, it was more like a prison because it went from like this awesome farm with all these animals and stuff. And then by the end, there was like this huge barbed wire fence around the whole thing. And he was just clearly so paranoid that somebody was watching him or getting in. And like, it sounds a lot like a schizophrenia almost is like things that you hear about, you know, the paranoia that someone's watching you or, or things like that. Um, and they never really said what his like true diagnosis was. I don't think, but um Definitely. Like at a certain point, I feel like you have to cut it off. Like you were saying when he told the other wrestler at the party that he was gonna, he knew who the problem was and he had to end it. At that point, I feel like it was that wrestler's responsibility to be like, okay, Dave, we need to get out of here. And another wrestler who had a gun pointed at him by John DuPont actually did do that. And Dave was just like, Nope, I'm staying, I'm sticking this thing out. Um, I feel I like that was when another wrestler got the machine gun pulled on him. Everyone else should have. I mean, that was the last straw. I thought there was many more things before that, but like, shouldn't they have known that they weren't safe when just someone who was super close to him gets, you know, almost gets killed. Um, it, it was just wild there. I mean, yeah, there was a whole bunch of different times when, you know, it could have gone differently. Like when the lawyer tried to get him, 
partially committed or something temporarily, but then he, John DuPont backed out and, and then some other wrestler was saying, well, if we had tried harder then he would have just hired a whole bunch of doctors and lawyers to say he wasn't mentally ill and fight his case, which probably, but like you still didn't have to be there on his property working with him. You know? Yeah. I thought those uh, kind of points just really spoke to how, powerful they thought he was and that's really what they saw him as was like this limitless bank account that he was just going to get his way he was able to do anything that he wanted and he was able i mean think of that like flex like oh that i think that tree moved bad like not how i wanted it to all right get it out of here okay i'm gonna build a fence like like he was literally able to do anything he wanted to and feed his um you know his schizophrenic episodes or his paranoia like it it was the imperfect combination for that yeah just unlimited funds and also anything he wants like the snap of his fingers yeah Yeah. crazy the danger of like the the money i guess um they also did mention that like he had drug and alcohol use and so like what extent to what extent that was contributing to all of this, who knows, but it also could be that he was trying to cope with like his mental illness too. Yeah. They, they, they mentioned that briefly. And, and then they also mentioned briefly, there was one little interview bit uh, from his ex-wife where it was like, yeah, he threatened to kill me and choked me one time. And like that, like he like hit a gun or something. And like, that was came out of nowhere and they hadn't really brought up his, his, him with guns before that. So that was kind of a weird thing to me, like in the documentary that they didn't really tell that part of the story right or as much as they should have or whatever, um, as they were trying to like reveal different parts of his character as the story went on. I would just I would like to focus a little bit more on like before the mental illness and, and everything, how awesome of a setup it was for these wrestlers who went from, you know, grinding and hardly getting by to all of a sudden they're living on this awesome, huge ranch that they have the ability to go anywhere they want on. They can hunt, they can fish on it. They can train endlessly with the best wrestlers in the world and they're getting paid like it's pretty sweet setup. So it's understandable, at least to a certain extent, why they wouldn't want to leave or why they'd be hesitant yeah. to leave. It'd stick it out as long as they possibly could. I mean, cause since we knew it was going to happen, I felt like I'd never really appreciate Like I was just kind of always like, this is weird. Like this is going to be, well, someone said like this felt almost too good to be true or something like, yeah, it kind of was. I mean, it definitely <laughs> was. Uh, but J- DuPont was like, to me, was so creepy the whole time. But that's also probably colored by how what how I knew he was going to do at the end. And I think I think the documentary or like the thing with Steve Carell does a better job of showing like how weird he was or how mm-hmm. like they um let him wrestle but he was like god awful and he had all these thoughts of like oh i'm gonna be an olympian and it's like just you know you're you're 50 yeah yeah it was just really creepy how he was like collecting he he did all these collections of the animals he had hunted and he had collections of other things and then mark schultz was saying how he was collecting wrestlers and at a certain time i thought there was going to be some weird some like even weirder thing like some sex thing and and i was worried that it was going to go to that which i'm glad it was not but i had i had a very similar feeling throughout yeah Yeah. it was i mean even before the mental illness and who knows i mean he probably had mental illness before but it like progressed to a certain point yeah um he was just a, a weird dude who also had a lot of money it was like he was just the guy a guy trying to like search for happiness in whatever way he could and i guess that was through sport even though it wasn't his own and he like saw an opportunity to get involved and make maybe feel successful in sport through these wrestlers but also like the whole wildlife delaware wildlife museum he started was pretty weird and i don't know like i i don't i wouldn't be friends with this guy no (laughs) Well, that's the thing is, remember the little bit about how his, you know, he he didn't have any friends and his mom paid people to be his friend. And then he was, he learned about that. I mean, he had a lot of, you know, trauma growing up to use that word. Like, and so, you know, that's, I was just watching, this is separate sort of, but I was just watching the crowded room 
on Apple, which is the Tom Holland show uh, that covers the first person diagnosed with multiple personality disorder and his trial and stuff. Um, and it just talks, I mean, this is a more extreme thing, but they just talk about how, like, you know, mental illness is brought on by trauma in childhood and, and stuff like that. So that just reminded me of that when they talked about how damaging his upbringing was. And then obviously he was very mentally ill. If, you know, as he got older, seemed to be more and more. Sure. And you have to wonder too, I mean, this was 1995. I believe the murder was right, like right before the Olympics in 96. But like talking about mental health wasn't as acceptable back then. And yeah. so you have to wonder, I mean, hopefully in today's day and age, a lot of these wrestlers would be like, okay, this is, it's like a different time now where it would be more acceptable to be like, you need to get help, man, or we need to get out of here. You know, it'd be more, they'd yeah. realize it faster these days, I feel like. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, that probably wouldn't happen today. There would, yeah. I feel like there would be more leaks of what, well, you would think at least, like more leaks about what's going on or, or different stories out of there, but. There. Yeah, uh, definitely. And it's just like a compound like that is just hard to even have nowadays because people are so much more, I feel like people are less willing to buy into something like that just as people like in America, I guess. Yeah. You brought it up earlier, Sam. I guess we should just talk about it a little more, which is just the like state of a non, you know, primary sport athlete, like not even that long ago, this was eighties and into the nineties where they felt like this was the only way where they could, um, practice and compete how they wanted to, at least in America, because they were being bankrolled. And 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 who knows? I mean, like, I don't know how wrestlers make money nowadays in a variety of different ways, I'm sure. But still, there still can't be that much money in it, you know? Yeah. You'd have to think it's mostly sponsorships nowadays. And yeah, I mean, coaching, like, um, I forget which one. Dave was coaching at Wisconsin. Um, you have to think that's an opportunity for them to be like on the mat more often and things and things like that. But there's definitely not Nike's not knocking on the door of mo most wrestlers. You would think you have to be pretty special to get a, a huge sponsorship these days. Yeah, I guess it's probably less extreme as it was before. Like back then they're like, you go win a gold medal and come back and you're still broken and you have no deals. Now, if you win a gold medal in wrestling in the US, you're going to get some deals. But it's just mm -hmm. a matter of who you are, star power you have, NIL deals you might have already had, WWE if you want to go that way. Social route. media yeah. deals, exactly. things like that too. If you have a following, if you don't, yeah. I mean, there's a reason that, like, you know, Gable Stevenson, there's rumors out there that he might come back to the U. Like, there's reasons that there's rumors out there. I mean, if he was making any sort of money, um and he's like the most decorated wrestler in the last five ten years you could argue um there's no way he would come back if there was a solid foundation for him um in a professional circuit that's such an interesting case too because he has a at least a partial deal with the wwe and that yeah. i mean that's gonna be a good check but yeah, yeah. i don't know it's it's just interesting the smaller sports they have a there's no roadmap and there still probably isn't yeah. yeah, if there's not a professional sports league within the United States or I guess a big one abroad, it's just so hard for these athletes to make money without sponsorship. Yeah. Um, should we get to a rating? I just one more thing. Uh, this has to be the craziest story of any that we've heard so far, right? That just as far as like a completely kind of wacky case of uh, you know, it's not the, the craziest sports story or the craziest game or anything like that, but just as far as a murder happening. I'm trying to look at the, our list, yeah. Like the I, I two Escobars, maybe? Oh, remind me when it's stranded on an island trying to get here from Cuba. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty crazy. That one is crazy. The one that popped to mind to me was just the um, OJ, just because there's another murder, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. One one night in Vegas was kind of the the murder of Tupac around a boxing match, right? Yeah, yeah. But other than that, yeah, this is up there with wildest um, plots. 
Absolutely. Just looking at the list. Yeah, I mean, like, the trial of Allen Iverson is kind of crazy. But not like this. Trial of Allen... That was so long ago. Yeah, where he was just... He, like, got into a fight at a bowling alley and then was kind of, like, outcast from... And race played a huge role in his trial. Oh, when he was in high school or something. Yeah. Oh, Benji. That's a pretty big one. Benji. Yeah, but it just doesn't seem as unlikely. I mean, it it does feel sort of unlikely, but maybe just not to the level. Yeah, I suppose. Maybe. What about the one where, I can't even remember it, where um, he was just, you know, training his son to be a football player. Marinovich. Yeah. Marinovich project. Todd Marinovich. I mean, that one I think about, I think about that one probably in the top 10% of the documentaries we watched just because this dad thought that he was doing his son such favors and he ruined his son's life, basically. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, since now you have a daughter and you're doing the same thing. Oh, I mean, I'm doing the hamstring stretches every night. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Okay, I'll start rating. I do have to say, Nick, your lighting with the natural light is beautifully cinematic right now of your Zoom. I love to serve, guys. If you face a little bit toward the toward the window more, just just twist twist your neck a little bit. No, not the not the thing. Oh, that's even better. No, I can see both. (laughs) That's the trick. You want the shadow half to be more than the lit half because the lit yeah, don't give away <laughs> your future document this is common if you look the other <laughs> way nick with the lit half no the other way see that looks worse doesn't it sam it's just less it just doesn't look as clean yeah because then you don't can't see you, any of that side don't give away your documentary production tips for <laughs> when you produce one someday you gotta keep that to you in, in the vest Ren, so we can get a 10.0 yeah, I'm definitely the only one that knows this. Stream start of this documentary. The live? Oh yeah, we're live on YouTube right now. Uh, <laughs> six point four wooden boats is what I'm giving it. Um, I thought six point four was fair because it was really good. I thought I didn't production wise. I I liked it a lot. I wouldn't say it was just it was handicapped just by the fact that. It was all found footage. It was all video camera, video, or old highlights. The only thing they shot was the interviews, literally, which is so rare that they don't have some elements of something they shot, other things. Um, and so it just wasn't a 100% well-rounded what I what I completely wanted in a documentary. Not that there's a whole much they could have done. Uh, wooden Boats, just because he... DuPont gave one of his wrestlers like this really cool looking, really small little boat made out of wood that I couldn't even tell was a boat at first. Um, <laughs> what do you think? What was your rating, Rudy? Um, mine, I was really close uh, to you. So six, five uh, is what I rated it. Um, very similar, kind of left me wanting more. Um, as I shared to you guys, I watched the trailers of these other two or the one movie and then the documentary. And it's like, oh man, I, I want to watch those now just so I could learn more about it. Um, so it, de- it was definitely intriguing. Um, and then, uh, uh, yeah, just enjoyed it um, from that standpoint of like the true crime documentary type of a feel to it. But then also, um, you know, covering a lesser sport, um, which I have a appreciation for just being a, a runner and um, you know, that, um, sort of a piece to it, but, um, yeah, so 6.5 and then I'm going, uh, patient provider relationships. So I was doing a Wikipedia search and he met his wife because he got in a motor vehicle accident. She was an occupational therapist. That's how they met. And then they got married and those never work out. She like wanted yeah. a divorce after like 30 or 90 days. I can't remember what they said, um, in there, but I think officially separated years later, but yeah. <laughs> Those never work out. He throws that in just to be clear. <laughs> That's Try it. it no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you didn't meet Aaron through like a physical therapy session? Mm-mm. Mm. Off the clock. <laughs> None of that. I did see in his ex-wife's subtitle once when she was being interviewed. Yeah, it said married in 83, divorced in 84. 
So yeah, they weren't together long. Sam? Um, okay, I I'm actually the lowest out of all of you, which is a Talking. very uh, yeah, very rare for me. Uh, I went 5.97 dramatic musics. I, that doesn't really make sense, but uh, because there was just, a, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's just a lot of dramatic music in the background of this throughout, whether they're talking about like the murder or just talking about how creepy he was or especially at the end when they're talking a lot about the paranoia and all that. Um, and so I kind of got a kick kick out of that um yeah i mean it was i think it was a, a good story um but i i kind of i just felt like I, I i left feeling like i wanted a little bit more um details and i i guess specifically one thing that i had written down was like when mark was talking about how he left because um john wouldn't leave him alone i was like i want you to tell me more about all he said was like he wouldn't leave me alone and i just wanted more details yeah like, hit me fair. with like an example of something that he did that drove you so crazy that you had to leave and not that you were just like burnt out and like wanted out kind of a thing um there was a couple more times like they could have fleshed stuff out more that was yeah. definitely one but like it so yeah, I, I agree. We can't have it both ways, though. We we were pleased when we no. saw fifty-two minute runtime, and we're not pleased when we see you know an hour and twenty other times. No, I know. I actually I had that exact same exact thought as like a lot of times. I'm always talking about the time and whether it was too long or too short. And this one, it felt like the right amount of time for a documentary. But I was just like, I just wanted to know a little bit more uh, uh, detail um, regarding it. So check out that movie. Yeah, Mark. Right. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta watch that movie now. All right. Oh, we have a tie, folks. Um, we rated this one six point two nine out of ten, of course. Uh, playing for the mob also got a six point two nine. I think that wasn't that the Boston College. Yeah. Um, where they were taking fixing scores fixing and things. Games, yeah. So um, we tied. Do we like this one better or do we like that one? Well, that was probably what, over a year and a half ago that we watched that? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I mean, that was a good one. I liked that one. I liked it too. I mean, I liked it six-ish. <laughs> Two <All right>. scandals. <laughs> what's your what's your vote, Rudy? You gotta choose one or the other. Well, I'll just well, I'll just vote and wherever we end up. I think the other one. Playing for the mob. Yeah, I'll take that one too. All right. Perfect. The second out of 70. So right in the middle-ish. What was this called again? <laughs> the Prince of Pennsylvania, I think. Oh, yeah. We forgot to talk about the why it was called the Prince of Pennsylvania, which was the Prince of Monaco tried to recruit one of the wrestlers when they were over there wrestling to be his, uh, to head up his program, the Monaco and, national team. And not just any wrestler, the wrestler that ended up being murdered by John DuPont. Very true. <laughs> and then a yeah, poor decision. <laughs> yeah. He made a lot of decisions that didn't work out, but then he sent a letter back to the Prince of Monaco and was like, I already work for the Prince of Pennsylvania yikes oh, yeah he yikes. definitely had a stubborn element to him knowing that like mark told him not to go right you know, like his best friend game. and brother he said and he was like nah yeah also one last thing about the documentary: i'm not a wrestling expert at all but watching dave wrestle was magical like his ability like he was so quick with his moves I was just like so fascinated by how easy he made everything look like he didn't even look like the most athletic guy, but his moves were just so flawless and effective all the time. I was disappointed that the Schultzes were from California because the Midwest is where all the the wrestlers are from nowadays, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, Mm -hmm. Penn State, college has a great program. Big 10 is mostly. Uh, where most of the wrestlers go um so i mean the odds are that they, they wouldn't be from there but obviously california has good athletes in every sport um okay let's move on to mount rushmore quickly i, I thought of this one it's it's a very silly one we're gonna do mount rushmore of pennsylvania fill in the blank it can be person place thing time you know 
anything, anything with any Pennsylvania connection. Obviously, the reason we chose Pennsylvania is obvious. The order is Sam, Nick, Ren. So Sam, lead us off. I have a I have a pretty obvious number one that I'm I'm really worried is not going to last at number three. Pressure's on. So I'm just trying to think here. I, I feel like Ren is going to go PNC Park at some point, and I'm like, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I know that baseball is your high interest of yours, and PNC Park is a very nice ballpark from the sounds of it. But I'm not doing with that. I'm going to go with one that I know Ren probably won't even wouldn't even be on your list, but it's so high on mine. I'm going Hershey's because I love chocolate. Hershey's it was on my cook- list. Okay, Hershey's cookies and cream bar. Pretty much any Hershey's, but I had s'mores this weekend. Hershey's kisses, like I'm. If if it has chocolate in it, I'm invested, and so I had to make this my first pick out of fear that it was going to be stolen from one of you guys. You're up. up. All right, that was on my list too. Um, I am going to go with The Office in Scranton, Pennsylvania. That was my (laughs) pick. (laughs) No, you did. That's part, yeah. That I mean, that's such a good one. Dang, Scranton, Scranton, PA. Wow, Rudy, Rudy just stole Rens. I didn't even think about that. That is a great one. It's so good. Uh, I'm okay. Well, number two. Wait, my turn. Yeah. Oh, I get two. I'm going Kobe. Uh, from Philadelphia. Now, the idea behind this was Pennsylvania things and. You know, in our Googling and stuff, I'm sure we all found that a lot of these things are Philadelphia. So I didn't want to just pick everything from Philadelphia, but but he's from Philly. Uh, Kobe speaks for himself. Um, and so number my second pick, I'm going to do Heinz ketchup or Heinz in general. Um, Heinz is the best ketchup there is. I think that's obvious. And uh, that's pretty much that. Heinz Field is included in that, I think. Is it still called that? Yep, I think so. They they have two big food brands, Hershey's and Heinz, in um, Pennsylvania. Ooh, baby! I'm gonna go with the uh, the old liter- Liberty Bell. Good choice. Those are my list too. Just a classic. Would, would, you, would you lick the Liberty Bell if given a chance? Probably. Addie would lick it. Would you lick it too? What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm gonna go with "It's Always Sunny." Yeah, was that an "Always Sunny" reference that you just made? Uh, no, it was a "How I Met Your Mother" reference. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't one. remember. Yeah. Um. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely love "It's Always Sunny." Fantastic show. Um, and I love that it focuses on like current day. Uh, topics and conversations like the they like came to Minnesota for the Super Bowl in one of the episodes when wow. the Eagles are in the Super Bowl and things like that. So it's always great. Um, I think I'm gonna go food again because when I think of uh Philly, I just think of Philly cheesesteaks, and I've I've been there and eaten at like the two across the streets, Pat Pat's and Geno's, and compared them, um, and they were really good. So I'm gonna go. Well, gonna you gotta, go. it's a podcast. You gotta give us your take of which one's the best. I have never been, so I don't know. But um, to be honest, it was so long ago. I can't really remember specifically. I just one of them is like very bright and like in your face with neon lights, and then the other one is kind of like old and run down. I think that one was Pat's, and I I, I liked that one better. I think because it was just less flashy. Uh, I remember like kind of getting yelled at by the person, like the cashier, because they're very much like you have to say like with or without or something, yeah. like the cheese whiz. Mm-hmm. And like we didn't know how to <laughs> order. So, like we're kind of like, and they're like, what are you? Like, hurry up. <laughs> we're like, ah. You're scared. You're scary. That's funny. I don't know how I did not think of. Uh, Philly cheesesteak on my list. <laughs> that should have been number one, or at least like the first thing to come to mind. But uh, out of the office, though, so that's a win. No, there's that. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, an experience, I guess. 
Um, and that would be like the whiteout nights at uh, at Penn State. Mm. Um, so like one Saturday every year, they do a whiteout night. And so it's like 110,000 people all in white. Uh, and it just seems like such a ruckus atmosphere that Gophers played in that last year and just got demolished. So um, it'd be cool to go there sometime for uh, for that experience. That game on TV like always looks crazy, just the scope of it. Yeah, good choice. Yeah. Um, my turn. I'm going to do the Little League World Series. Um, I remember when I was little, that used to be so fun to watch. It still is, and it's always such a nice story. I think it's happening right now. That's in um, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Um, just a cool event. And um, when I was in Hawaii, the the Hawaii team won, and we came back, and there was this massive celebration at the airport, and it was super fun. Uh, my last pick is going to be Christian Pulisic, the member of the national team, because I'm running dry here. The U.S. men's national team, I thought of it because he's from Hershey. Um Hershey is a town apparently. And so yeah, one of the best uh the best player on the US US men's national team. Last one here. I, I saved this one for last because I knew Ren wouldn't think this. Um, but Taylor Swift was born in yeah, I saw that on the list. <laughs> and since Ren is a non believer, I will go with T Swift. This is not a Swifty. The John Lennon of our generation. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> hey, don't don't offend her like that. She's like Elvis, or if this okay, let me Paul say McCartney. if this podcast got any real views, I wouldn't be saying this because the internet would come after me. But you know, <laughs> like if we were like a popular podcast, that would be like a dangerous statement, legitimately. Wait, we aren't a popular. Oh podcast? no, we are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> better we edit, uh, better edit, edit that out. Yeah, we're cut it, cut it, cut it. <laughs> all right i'm gonna go uh last pick i'm gonna go sports here Ooh, how do i want to do this i have two choices i'll let you guys choose for me because i'm the last pick so it doesn't matter okay. i could either go rocky balboa oh or philly philly fanatic Ooh. Philly oh, fanatic right. would be awesome but rocky balboa is iconic what about yeah. gritty <laughs> oh yeah him too if we're talking about mascots they have some good ones. I would, if I had to choose between those two, I would say Fanatic because I've never seen Rocky. That's another sad thing to admit. Whoa, we were just talking about classic movies earlier that we haven't seen. Yeah. Oh, I thought about the movie I haven't seen, Ren, that I watched. Yeah. Groundhog's Day, I watched on the airplane the other couple weeks ago with Bill Murray. Such a good one. Yeah. Really good. Classic. All right, so. So Mount Rushmore, Pennsylvania, Sam went with Hershey's. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, Philly cheesesteak, and the Philly fanatic. Um, Rudy went with The Office, The Liberty Bell, Whiteout Night at Penn State, and T-Swift. And Ren took Kobe, Heinz Ketchup, um, Little League World Series, and Christian Pulisic. Pulisic, yeah. Uh, I think Nick definitely won that until the last pick, and then it kind of soured the the whole thing. But he he had like a really strong first three. I mean, those were good. But I think some people would say my last pick was my best pick of yeah, value. Some might. <laughs> uh, okay, documentary wish list. Didn't do it last week. We're doing it. Well, maybe we kind of did last week. Nick, you said you had an idea for a documentary you think should be made. I do. It came up uh, just with recent events here. Um, and it, it, it's what I uh, want to call a hate humanity, and it's gonna be of Sean Payton because he's a pile. Uh, he's a pos, and now he's just calling out the coaching fraternity. First, he's got to put a bounty on. Oh yeah, let's all respect the coaching fraternity, the best institution in the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not the best part of my argument, but uh, just a, I guess a look into him and then how terrible he was on TV. And like I said, I want this all negative. Like, I want this a smear campaign. Um, but uh, I thought he was awful on TV. And then how he, I would say, is, I don't know, overrated. Like, I, like he had success, don't get me wrong. But, like, his numbers are very comparable with Mike McCarthy. And we do not respect Mike McCarthy at all. So, um, I just feel like he's kind of uh, been overblown. But um, just looking at him and... 
and just how he was in coaching, then had the you know issues, and then was still in coaching, and then you know, yeah, yeah, the bounty and all that bounty gate. Yeah, um, he he does have a a lot that's happened. I, I, how crazy was it that Aaron Rodgers quoted? I don't know. Did he try to quote Will Smith when he when he was defending Hackett? That was wild. When I saw the headline, it was like, keep my coach's name out your mouth. And that's oh. like literally what Will Smith said when he smacked Chris Rock. Like, how I didn't even put that together. I and just that, thought it was a dumb, dumb quote or a dumb line. But yeah. Yeah. And that's what I thought of immediately. And then obviously Twitter ran with it, too. At least I saw I didn't, I didn't actually see as many people like making memes about that as I thought I would. But it was so weird. Like, who? It, ugh. It was bizarre, but I mean, you're right. You bring up the point about the coaching thing. Like, yeah, usually coaches, even if they hate each other, they're like super complimentary. Um, Peter Strager of the NFL Network, I think he said something like, "This is all a, a chess move." Like Peyton's comments are like to do this X Y Z later down the road and or position himself. I I don't really know what that could be for. It's it's mm. there's no game coming up. You know, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's week four. I don't I don't know. Maybe I just don't like him because I'm a Vikings fan, but I don't think he's that calculated. But. I saw some some Vikings meme where it's like, finally, Vikings fans and Aaron Rodgers agree on something or something, you know, like <laughs> Sean Payton. <laughs> uh, okay, sweet. Um, that's, yeah, good idea. Sam, what are we doing next time? Won't be next week because you're, uh, you're, you're abroad again, but um, yeah. next, next podcast. We are doing... Um... It's called The Gospel According to Mac. Um, it is... Mac Jones? Uh, not quite. Actually, Bill McCartney. And the funny thing is, is that um, we don't have an ESPN 30 for 30 on Wikipedia anymore. They don't list them anymore. They must have deleted it. So that's where I usually got my um, my details. But it has something to do with Coach Mac's controversial national championship run two seasons that followed multiple arrests and strife between his mostly African-American players and the Boulder police. What sport? Uh, football. All right. Look forward to it next time in our next episode of Documentary Diehards. Nick, Sam, thanks for doing it. We'll do it again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.